Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Teferit Talk. I'm Melissa Studdard, and this is the Blog Talk Radio Show for Teferit, a journal of spiritual literature, where our goal is to promote peace in the individual and in the world through writing. We're so happy that you've joined us tonight, and we invite you to also join our global online writing community at www.teferitjournal.com. There, you can interact with other members, read their writings, post your own writings, and subscribe to Tavirat Journal. Our interview tonight is with Jacqueline Sheehan. We'll be discussing Sheehan's emotionally riveting work with a focus on the novel Picture This, released just this past May as a sequel to the New York Times bestseller Lost and Found. Sheehan's other books include her first novel, Truth, published in 2003 by Free Press of Simon & Schuster, her third novel, Now and Then, published in 2009 by Avon HarperCollins, and her anthology, Women Writing in Prison, which is a culmination of eight years of writing workshops sponsored by Voices from Inside, an advocacy group for incarcerated women. As well, Sheehan has published travel articles, short stories, and numerous essays and radio pieces. Sheehan teaches workshops at Grub Street in Boston and Writers in Progress in Florence, Massachusetts. Of Picture This, Ellen Mirapole states, This page-turner is a profound exploration of damage done in childhood, the nature of evil, and the difficulty of knowing what is true. Hello, Jacqueline. Are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, how wonderful. (laughs) How are you doing this evening? Excuse me? Oh, I just asked how you're doing this evening. I am good. I'm very good. How about you? Oh, I'm doing very well. Um, Why don't you go ahead and start by giving our listeners a brief introduction to your new novel, Picture This. Well, uh, Picture This is really, as you have mentioned, a sequel to a book that I published in 2007, and it has some of the very same characters um, that populated uh, Peaks Island, Maine, where the book is set. And um, I really wasn't done with those characters um, at all. And apparently many of my uh, readers were not done with them either because there was quite a, a, a calling for a, a follow-up book to Lost and Found. But it does have the same main character, uh, Rocky Pellegrino, who is um, a delightful character to write about. Um, I'm a psychologist, and the world of psychology can be quite serious. Um, Rocky Pellegrino, however, um, is a tremendous amount of fun to write about because she's so fallible and she's so completely willing to make sort of a fool of herself um, for the greater good. Um, And it also has... Some of the same themes as the as the first book. It, you know, if I was to tell someone the books that I write about are about loss and grieving, probably no one would read my books. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, in fact, that's what they are about. It's um, the loss, and, and honestly, that's what many many good books are about. It's about the loss of something you really, a character really loves. Um, and values more than anything, and it could be a person, it could be a belief, 
It could be um, uh, a friendship, but um, it's. I think it's how we deal with loss uh, that sometimes determines who we are, and that's what this book is partly about. Hmm. I noticed the same thing, actually. It's sort of like by putting your characters in these situations, you kind of keep them from being able to lie to themselves about who they are, you know, and... Um, it's kind of the tragedies kind of strip them raw and reveal their truths, and it actually reminds me of something that one of your characters said that I really liked. It was the photography teacher, and he said to try to get pictures of people after they're done posing, and then the real person peers out to see if it's safe. And I feel like, in a way, that's kind of what you're doing with your fiction. You're kind of capturing the characters after the false smiles have fallen away. And I was just wondering if that's something that you were striving for. Oh, it is something that I strive for, and it's something that when I'm, you know, teaching writing workshops, um, you know, we try many, many ways to get get below the surface with a with a character. You know, a, a smiling, affable character really is not that interesting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we might want to be, you know on a school committee with that person or work with that person, but we don't necessarily want to read about that person. Um, we really want to know a, a much deeper part of a character than what's on the surface. And, you know, and like with the photographer in the book and Melissa, the character who's studying photography, the high school girl, um, it's, it's, even in photography, there there is that same challenge. The most striking photographs you've ever seen um, are not the most beautiful, but they're the most telling of someone's character. Mm, yes. You know, I have to say also that even though you're talking about grief and loss, that the books are also very charming. And um, I just find that really interesting, how you manage to keep the books charming and at the same time deal with these really serious topics and not just in a general way either i mean you go into really specific aspects of um you know the the death of a spouse anorexia i mean you don't shy away from the big issues at all um and yet they're charming and i think i attribute that partially to um the relationships that develop among the people and also among the animals that they care about the pets um, what what would you say about that? Well, what I would say is, you know, that, that tragedy and humor really can walk hand in hand, and it's a it's a difficult uh, it's a difficult balance, you know. And I'm uh, uh, saying this aware of the national tragedies that we're looking at, but. Um, I I remember at my um my oldest sister uh died in 1997 and nothing could have been more tragic in my life than that. And um at the reception that was at our home it was a very sudden death. But at the reception, I you know, I hadn't laughed, I hadn't smiled in days. And my brother said to me, "Do you know what the Undertaker's nickname is in town?" And I said, no. And he said, digger. And I said, no. 
And I, oh. both of us started laughing, you know, how absurd, you know, for an entire town to call this uh, undertaker, this rather dignified man, Digger. <laughs> and, oh, but no. but I, I think there is a, you know, there is a certain kind of even chemical uh, release that we need to have on occasion, and, and humor humor is part of that, and I think that's um, partly what draws us to animals like cats and dogs. Most people say that uh, cats and dogs, part of what they love about them is that they're, they make them laugh and ask any woman what's the very first quality they like about a man, and they will say, he makes me laugh. So I hope my characters um, uh, do that in some way as well. Uh, They absolutely do, and and their actions as well. I mean, I'm not going to give anything away to anyone who hasn't read the book, but I just have to say the way that she disposes of the ashes is really one of the most hysterical things I've ever read. You know, she's disposing of her husband's ashes, but it's funny, (laughs) you know. Yeah, and that's in Lost and Found, and that's one of the um, um, that's one of the scenes that uh, fans write to me about. And those people who've experienced, you know, a very very close, profound death, usually say, "I get it. I completely understand." You know that Mm -hmm. we we can go a little crazy um, after a death. And we can, you know, as a psychologist, and I've seen people respond in any number of ways that they never would have dreamt that they would have responded. Um, and in my, you know, in my own life, seeing responses um, that, that surprised me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, speaking of surprising reactions, one of the things that I think was surprising in um, lost and found was Rocky being drawn to archery as a hobby mm-hmm. and I wondered if you could talk to that talk about that a little bit about how that happened and maybe why you know a lot of people have asked me that question you know the, the why archery but <laughs> uh, <laughs> of all things um it's a, it's a slightly long answer, but I'll keep it as short as possible. When I was writing my first book, which was historical fiction about Sojourner Truth, the black African-American enslaved woman in the 1900s, that was a very um, somber book, and I felt a huge responsibility, and it was exhausting to write that book. So as a bit of an emotional release, for me, I began to write about a character just for the uh, pleasure of it, and it was Rocky. And Rocky always was drawn to archery, you know, a, a bit um, a bit humorously in, in the beginning as I began to get to know Rocky. Um, but there was just there was something about um, the unusual nature. Are you still there? Oh, I am. Can you hear me? It was something about the unusual nature of uh, archery, uh, the skill that it took, um, and and sort of the irony and awfulness that she was drawn to archery, even knowing that um, 
a dog that she had saved was um, um, nearly mortally wounded uh, by an archer. Okay, thank you. I just uh, got a message from someone in the chat room who said they can't hear the show, so I'm just encouraging them to call in to listen if they're having a hard time hearing on the air, and then hopefully it's recording and <laughs> and it'll play. Oh. Um, yes, yes, but I, I think we should keep going because I'm I'm pretty sure it's recording, so people can always go and listen to it later. Mm-hmm. Um, so okay, okay sorry about can't that. hear it. I know, I know, um, and I don't know if that's everyone. It's just someone who wrote into the chat room. So anyway, um, well, let's continue. Um, I yeah, I, it's interesting that you brought up truth as well because I noticed, I did notice a really different home between that and your other books. I mean, for one thing, it was in first person, and the others were in third person, and I felt like truth was really kind of, uh, I think I would say voice-driven rather than than plot-driven, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, So I can see how that would be exhausting because you have to really sustain that, you know? Um, but but all of them are so wonderful in totally different ways. Um, one thing that I wanted to talk about is the associative imagery and perception in the books. I mean, of course, Tess has synesthesia in Lost and Found, and then picture this, she's kind of grappling with that. Uh, I don't know how much I can say or not say there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and maybe you can talk in a minute about what synesthesia is for someone who may not know. Um, but I wanted to say that the other characters also have really strong associations, even if we wouldn't necessarily call it synesthesia. You know, in truth, the narrator says that sadness tastes like fish. And I know that she's associating that with a lost sister who loved the fish. But it's it's just a really interesting and different way of thinking, and it really intrigues me. And I'm wondering how you you came to that. Is that kind of the way your own mind works, or did you really make an effort to draw those associations into um, another thing? I'm going to throw one other thing in, is the, the description. Um, most description in books uh, seems to really focus on the visual, but with you it's, you know sound, taste, it's all of it. And I'm just wondering if this is all an effort on your part or just is this the way you see the world? Well, a lot of it is the way I experience the world. Um, Mm -hmm. But with the first book, um, written in first person, um, fictionalizing Sojourner Truths, primarily her younger years, you know, I was writing in first person a about a woman who did not read or write. So her visual capacity, her visual uh, senses were going to be, I think, a little different. So I relied more on the senses uh, that a child would enhance if if they did not know how to read and write. So that that's partly what the, the, the emphasis was, um, in the book about Sojourner Truth. And uh, and Lost and Found, and picture this, I do play a bit with um, um, senses. For example, um, you asked about synesthesia and the character Tess, who has synesthesia. Um, 
synesthesia, um, it's not a disorder in any way. In fact, I'm, I'm a bit jealous of people who do have synesthesia. Me too. <laughs> but it's sort of a multiple firing of of senses so that uh, someone with synesthesia, when they hear a particular piece of music, they may experience it by taste. Um, you know, a piece of music could taste like chocolate to them, a, you know, a a level of sound could have a taste associated with it. And it wouldn't be them, you know, being poetic. It would truly be this is how their senses were firing. Um, And many musicians and artists um, were finding out actually uh, did have synesthesia to some degree. Mm, That's really wonderful. And, you know, I think it just, for me, reading your books, it goes so far beyond that. It's like each character has a depth of perception and a certain awareness that um, is, you know, sensory, but it also has to do with their experience. Um, and I'm thinking, I mean, bringing a dog in, obviously, there's the sense of smell, which you do such a wonderful job of describing. Um, and then we've got Hill, who has these powers of stillness and concentration, and Natalie's learned um, how to read people for danger. And it's just, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's like in the book, the the senses are so heightened, the description of the sentence, the senses, and um, also an awareness of them. It's almost like, you know, the contemporary noise is drowned out. <laughs> You know what I mean? And these people can yeah, really hear. yeah. And and I'm just wondering how you came to that. It just absolutely fascinates me. I, I think partly it evolved. You know, the the minute that I allowed a canine character into the book, I had to learn almost as much about how the dog communicated as people communicated. So it might be partly. Uh, to do with that, you know, learning what senses were highly attuned with uh, dogs, at least to the best of our knowledge, you know, their hearing and their sense of smell, uh, how they communicate, how they communicate with their the bodily language, uh, or what sounds and smells might mean to them. And then I began thinking about, um, you know, Tess. Tess has these um, altered senses from uh, most people. And I began really focusing in on each character. Well, what what sense is it that they, uh, that most drives them? Um, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and I think that's really, that's probably true for a lot of us. It's a bit heightened in fiction, um, mm-hmm. I think, uh, but it does give us access. Uh, into a deeper part of the character. Well, that's right. And in some ways, I mean, it it feels like you could say it's heightened in fiction, but you could also say it's making us aware of something that's there that we don't pay attention to. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you ever read um, Sun Magazine, The Sun. You know, I do. I do. Yeah, it's out of uh, North Carolina, wonderful literary magazine 
And mm-hmm. I just read a short piece. Of course, I don't know who the author is because I don't have it in front of me. But it was um, an, someone writing about a moment of heightened sensory awareness, and she was, and she didn't know why it happened, but suddenly um, she could feel the the trees uh, vibrating. She could hear the sound of a wasp on the deck telling her to stay away. Um, it was the sort of the drum beat of the wings of the of the birds who were uh you know searching for food and she said it just it just happened it was like she stepped through this other doorway and all of the senses meant something uh very clearly uh defined and it's a, it's a beautiful piece um you know, and it's something that I would I want to remember. And I want to bring more of that into my writing. Wow! Well, that does sound really beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it was um, a very short piece. Uh, really exciting. I think it was in this last issue. So lyrical. <laughs> well, um, tell us about Cooper the dog because I know everybody who's read the books is in love with him. <laughs> And I'd love to hear a little bit more about him and the inspiration behind him. And, of course, you know, it's always a risky move to um, have chapters from a non-human point of view, and you pulled it off so well. I'd, I'd just love to hear more about that. Oh, thanks. Um, I, I think I have always imagined what a dog is thinking I, I don't know why that is so. I've just always imagined it, and I assumed everyone else did, which apparently is not true. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true for quite a few people. Um, it, you know, and when I first wrote, and, and Lost and Found, there really are only three chapters from Cooper, the Black Lab's uh, point of view, and and I did not get a lot of encouragement from um, other writers who I knew when I first did this, they, uh, they, they, they well, I'll just leave it at that. I did not get uh, encouragement for that. Um, but it is uh, probably, you know, I get hundreds of letters from writers. Probably half of them have to do with those chapters from uh, Cooper the Dog's point of view, um, that people find them um very moving usually they tell me that they will read them aloud to their partner they will read them aloud to other people um that that it um it 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 it, it resonates with them about a, a soulful kind of relationship that they have with a dog um and in uh, picture this uh cooper um, also has uh, a few chapters in his point of view, and um, he's taken on more of a sort of uh, senatorial <laughs> role on Peaks Island. He, he has assumed that you know he is on this island as a protector, you know. Yeah, um, and it's just. I mean, it's so compelling, you know, it's really, really wonderful. So I think I understand why people were discouraging you from doing it in the beginning, but, um, you know, the response has shown. 
how much it was really a wonderful thing to do. I have um, someone who wrote in, in the chat room and wanted to know if I could place them on the call so they can ask you questions. Is that okay oh, with you? Sure, that would be okay, wonderful. Great. Okay. Jeff, are you there? I am, Melissa. Thank you so much oh, for my call. No problem. Jacqueline, I am amazed and astounded that I have not heard of your work yet, but um, not surprising that Melissa would find another wonderful author. I'm also in Massachusetts as well and connected with Grub Street. I'm surprised our paths haven't crossed. Wonderful work. My question to you would be, um, and I ask this often about the writers, being a writer myself, is there a specific process you have for writing? Some writers outline um, some kind of uh, squirrel themselves away in a little nutshell for a bit and then come back out when they're done. I'm just curious what your process is. And I love how you're a dog whisperer. I'm a cat whisperer, but I love you're a dog <laughs> Well, I, I wish I, I had a clever response to this, but my process for writing is pretty much all over the place. Um, when I'm on a deadline, and of course the closer I get to the deadline, the more... Uh, uh, more religious I sort of get about my writing. I usually write in the morning, um, turn off the phone, um, and I probably uh, won't write longer than four hours um, without taking some kind of break, going, you know, taking a walk, going to the gym or something. But I'm also a huge advocate of writing residencies, Um the first writing residency that I went to was um, in Scotland, and it was called Hawthorne Den Castle, and it really was a castle. So you applied for this residency. I was fortunate enough to be selected, and I was there for a month, and they give you a room, feed you, take care of you, and amazingly do your laundry. And um, I have never written as much as I wrote in that, 30-day period. I probably wrote um, close to 100 pages. Wow. So, you know, there's, you know, I know that's not for everybody. You know, when people have young kids at home, they can't do that. There's a lot of times in our life when we can't do that. But You're devoid of distractions, and I think that's what did it for you, and that's what I tell everybody that asks me my advice. I say, stay in that moment and remove the distractions, and you will not believe how much output you can do, just how much you can write. It's wonderful. Melissa, let me let you get back to your show. Thank you. Forgive oh, my flu voice. No. <laughs> I hope you feel better soon. Thank you, Jacqueline. I'm a fan, and I'll definitely pick up your books. Take care. Well, thank you. I'll look for you at Grub Street. Wonderful. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, Jacqueline, do you mind if we run over by about five minutes, or are you in a rush to nope, I'm at all? with that. Okay, great. I have a couple more questions I want to ask you, and I want to tell anyone who's listening live that um, when the show ends, when it's supposed to end, it'll cut off on the live version, but it will record the whole version. So you can go and listen to the last few minutes. And, of course, anybody who's listening to the show recorded will just hear the whole thing. So um, a couple of just closing questions that I wanted to ask you. Um, I did read somewhere that the most popular workshop that you teach is called Using Psychology to Create Strong Characters. And I wanted to see if you could give our listeners just a little taste of what that class is about, maybe tell us a little bit about it, and you know, maybe a piece of advice or two about using psychology to create strong characters. Yeah, I, um, you know, I've been teaching uh, writing for a number of years, and I 
and I don't know why I didn't come to this combination sooner. It just makes perfect sense since I'm a psychologist and I'm a writer. Um, and uh, and I and I knew that I was bringing skills from psychology into writing, um, but only in about the last four years or so did it occur to me to kind of pull it all together into some coherent package to teach. Um, so, it's, I, so I would say that um, you know one of the main pieces of it has to do with um, how any of us get to know somebody and we really have to get to know our characters on a very deep level and we have to know things about our characters that we might never put on the page but we know them anyhow you know so if you know someone was to ask about our character you know what's their favorite breakfast cereal we would probably know that if we didn't know it we we could make a pretty good guess at it um, That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I encourage people to um, almost write a full bi- biographical sketch of their uh, characters um, it, to to figure out where they lived, where they grew up, what kind of school they went to, what kind of parenting they had what kind of spiritual belief they might have what you know what were influences in their family was there alcohol in the family was there or problems with alcohol anything that would have a strong would you know that would leave a strong thumbprint um on the character and um you know that's just a great starting place um for getting to know a character as it is really you know when you build a friendship with someone bit by bit you find out all those things about someone and you probably want someone to know those things about you if you really want to be known to them Um, and then we begin to ask the character things like you know what's the thing that matters more than anything else to you what you know what would make you sad if it was taken away um you know which is really what i did with my character rocky you know more than anything rocky was in a relationship a married relationship with a man who she loved very very much not in an idealistic way i think they had their tiffs and disagreements <laughs> but she clearly loved this man yeah. and i I did that terrible, once I found all that out, now this is where I step away from being a psychologist, once I find out all this stuff about my characters, then I say, well, what would happen if I took the most precious thing away from her? Oh, wow. (laughs) I know, it's awful, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) It's not. It it makes beautiful fiction. (laughs) That's such wonderful advice too because um you know what i'm hearing from you that's so important is that nothing is wasted uh you know the more you get to know your character it doesn't matter if that doesn't end up in the actual writing it's that you're knowing it is going to make the story better right that's right that knowing yeah. these things about your character will inform your writing about the character that's right that's right that's wonderful advice thank you um, I have one more question. Well, actually, two. Uh, mm-hmm. Another question 
for your book and then a closing question. And I just wanted to ask you that, you know, you mentioned before how the characters are flawed and they are very round. They've got such wonderful qualities and they're flawed as well. And, you know, any experienced writer knows that when you're doing a good job of creating your characters, they'll do what they want to do and not what you want them to do because, as you just pointed out, you've created a really distinct personality that is coming forth, you know. And reading your books, some of your characters make some very bad decisions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. the characters that you, obviously, from you know the author's standpoint that you care about, you show so much compassion for them. And I'm wondering what it was like for you, particularly as a psychologist, to watch them make those decisions. It, you know, it's surprisingly hard um, uh, when some of the... In, in uh, Picture This, there's a young character, Natalie, who's one of the hardest characters I ever wrote about. Um, she's a, a child that had a very difficult childhood of no fault of her own, grew up in a foster care system. And and at some point, something sort of clicked with Natalie, and she began making choices um, that were uh, much darker uh, than anyone really suspected. And um, it's very hard to sort of travel along with a character when a character who, in fact, you're sort of fond of uh, Mm -hmm. starts making these horrible choices. And it's almost like you want to reach into the page and pull them out, kind of shake them around a little bit and say, come on, don't do that. You can do better than that. (laughs) Uh, You know, but um, they, they, you know, Natalie had a life of her own, and she was a very complex character, um, and she would sort of give me fits, but Natalie was who she was. We don't all make great choices. <laughs> That's right, and it would be very inauthentic to try to make her behave differently, you know, once yeah. the character established as well as you've established her. So, okay, thank you. Um, the last question is just that I wanted to find out about what you're working on now. Well, I'm taking a pretty sharp departure in some ways from Peaks Island, Maine. I'm writing a book that is based, about half of the book will be based in uh, Guatemala in 1990 uh, in the Mayan Highlands. Um I've traveled to Guatemala probably half a dozen times and gotten to know some of the Mayan people and learned about their civil war that lasted about 30 or 35 years. And it does seem like the Mayan people took the biggest brunt of it. And um, so that's that's what I'm working on next. Uh, it will be take place in Guatemala and uh, present-day Mass- uh, Massachusetts. Wow, that sounds fabulous. You're so diverse. <laughs> that's wonderful. You know, that's not always a good thing with the publishers. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Isn't that sad? <laughs> it shouldn't be that way. You should be free to just explore and <laughs> you know, but I, your but I, 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 you. <laughs> yeah, I think we have to be true to, you know, things that we want to write about also. I think so, too. Absolutely. Well, in closing, um, are there any events that you have coming up that you'd like to announce, and is there a website that you would like to point people to where they can follow you and your career? Yeah, please uh, 
could go to my webpage at www.jacquelinsheehan.com. I'm also on uh, Facebook as Jacqueline Sheehan Author. And I think the next event that I have coming up, it's very local. I'm um, So I sort of ended my book tour in November, and now I'm mostly teaching and working on the next book. But I'll be teaching a class at Writers in Progress in Florence, Mass., January 12th, and again in Grub Street in Boston on um, April 29th, I think. And if anybody would like to go to uh, San Miguel Allende, Mexico, I will be teaching at the San Miguel Allende Writers' Conference in February. Oh, I've heard that's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people talk about that. Well, thank you so much. It's just been a real pleasure talking to you, and um, I wish you happy holidays and happy writing. You too. The same to you with your writing, Melissa. Well, thank you so much. All right. Take care. You too. Good night. Uh